Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. What's happening? You know the deal. We are screaming from the sidelines into the Final Four. We're down to just four teams out of the field of 68, and we got a great episode for you. A little bit of a Final Four roundtable coming your way. And our guests are coming in soon, but what they can't do is talk about betting, so I'm just going to take care of that all on my own. And we're going to go over a little bit of that, the four teams, some fun facts you need to know, and then we're going to bring them in. So let's get down to business. Two matchups on different sides of the bracket, and it's very interesting because it's uh, two very defense-oriented teams and then two very offensively explosive teams facing off against each other. Let's start with the left side of the bracket, which is Florida Atlantic, the nine seed, and San Diego State, just the third nine seed to ever get to the final four. Wichita State did it back in 2009, and Penn did it back in 1979. Now, San Diego State comes into this game favored by two points via betonline.ag. Proud sponsor presented in the bottom corner right there. The over-under here is 132. Now, historically speaking, the Final Four has favored more talented teams and higher seeds. And UConn is the highest seed left. They currently are the title favorite. And when I was asked to make a pick earlier this week, I did go with the Huskies. However, as we will discuss in the roundtable, just because they're are trends and patterns that exist that doesn't make them a definitive law. It is so satisfying to see all these voices talk about how only these 10 teams can win the national championship because they fit into the top 23 and adjusted defensive rating, and they were ranked in the top 10 AP poll at some point during December, and their star player prefers iced coffee over hot coffee and like 50 other weird criteria. And now we have our first ever Final Four without any one, two, or three seeds. And three of the four programs have never been here. This is so cool. And if you think it's going to squash the ratings, I don't know why people who've been watching this whole time wouldn't want to watch now. If you don't know that much about the teams, let's go learn. And that's what I'm here to help you out with. Don't go into this blind looking at the betting. I told you San Diego State is favored by two, but I'm not so sure I would look away from FAU right now. They were 31-3 and coming into the tournament. So while their run to the Final Four was unlikely, it's not a fluke. Conference USA, by the way, is no joke. Maybe you didn't know who Conference USA even was. I like vaguely had that in the back of my head somewhere. So FAU won the conference, obviously. But the second and third place teams are North Texas and UAB. And oh, guess what? They're set to face off in the final of the NIT. So I don't think it's just some crazy coincidence that FAU got all the way here. Like I said, it was unlikely, but it wasn't unearned. Now, in the Elite Eight, Florida Atlantic out-rebounded Kansas State 44-22, to which included 14 offensive rebounds. They also had a slight edge on the glass, in their previous three games before that. FAU is also now changing the public's thinking on how teams should be evaluated. Had this team lost one or two more games or one at the wrong time in their conference tournament, a really good squad would have been kept out of the field of 68. This is true. I would like to talk about the San Diego State Aztecs too, because they also have earned this Final Four run, just like their opponent. A lot of noise was made in 2021 last year. 2022. 2022. Gosh, I cannot do my math. A lot of noise was made last year about Kansas and their redemption run in the tournament. Because when March Madness was canceled in March of 2020 due to the pandemic... Kansas was in position to get the tournament's top seed. And then they captured that championship 
last year in epic fashion with a major comeback over North Carolina. I also want to throw San Diego State into this conversation because at the time of the shutdown, they were 30-2 and and had serious hopes for a championship run. So the Aztecs now are in the Final Four for the first time in program history. Their three-point defense has been their special ingredient. They have the number two ranked perimeter defense in the nation, and this is a big part of why it's so hard to beat this team. Even if offensively they don't have the level of explosiveness that UConn has or that Miami has, they're not a group that gives up insurmountable runs. Take the Alabama game, for example. Alabama, the top seed, was starting to pull away in the early stages of the second half. And the Aztecs completely stifled their playmaking in the last eight minutes, and they got back into it with their defense. FAU is tough because they have three players that average double-digit scoring. But as a team, they're not shooting the ball well from the outside. They're just about 31% in the tournament. But they still got here, right? So going back to the flip side, they have nine players that average at least 15 minutes per game. So Dusty May is not afraid to play with a variety of lineups in this deep rotation. And he will tinker around with that if he has to against the Aztecs in the Final Four here. So there's a lot to unpack here. And I will make my public pick on Saturday. But that's some info I wanted to present. And I just want to plant it in everybody's head that Florida Atlantic isn't some undersized team that doesn't deserve to be here. They've earned it. And San Diego state plays a very similar style of basketball. So I think it's going to be a great matchup. I would probably lean toward the under, but I think we're going to get some weirdness in the first half too. And that might be a lot of scoring because of defensive errors. The emotions are going to be high. There will be some jitters with both of these teams that weren't necessarily expected to be here. And now they're on the biggest stage and their phones have probably been buzzing all week. So I think we might get some weirdness, but I don't dislike the Florida Atlantic play here as much as I like San Diego state being in California. Let's go to the other side of it. Miami versus Yukon. So right now the line is Yukon favored by five and a half, which shifted down from six. So that's a lot. The over under is at 149 and a half. I love this game. One team in Miami looked like they were about to go down in the first round and then again in the Elite Eight. But their opponent, UConn, has blown out everyone they faced thus far. Jim Laranega is back in the Final Four 17 years after he took 11 seed George Mason there in one of the all-time Cinderella runs. Miami has the tough task ahead of trying to stop Sonogo and Hawkins. And for a team that ranked 104th in adjusted defensive efficiency on paper, this isn't great. However, ever since nearly being upset by Drake in the first round, Miami has been pure buckets. They've scored 85, 89, and 88 points in their last three games since then. Plus, you can't really count this team out. So they may be minus two in their scoring margin when it comes to the first half. But in the second half, they're plus 46 over four games. And UConn can't take their foot off the gas like they've been able to do in their previous few games. I think Miami is going to be a pain. They got incredible guard play. Jordan Miller is... Great guard-forward combination. Came off his perfect shooting performance and 27 points. And you got Isaiah Wong. So it's a tough team to stop. Now, let's talk about UConn, too. Because, yeah, they are the favorite. Their size, toughness, and shooting has been on full display. And it seems like this group really feeds off of Dan Hurley's energy. So... It is fair to say at this point that the Huskies were underseeded. But also, who really cares about seeds at this point? UConn's best player is Adama Sinogo, who is also the top scorer in the tournament with 80 points. 
He's also averaging 9.8 rebounds per game and shooting 66% from the field in the tournament. And when Sonogo scores at least 20, UConn is 19-0. So typically, he's a good indicator of the team's success beyond just his individual performance. UConn has struggled when teams limit transition opportunities and apply very aggressive ball pressure. Now, credit to Dan Hurley and UConn because they have adjusted well by running the offense through Andre Jackson. It has worked for them, and the forward has racked up 31 assists throughout this road to the Final Four. Including the tournament games, the Huskies have 19 wins by 15 or more points, which is tied for the most in the entire country. Miami should be able to make it a shootout, but the bottom line is somebody's going to have to make plays on defense, and that will almost certainly be the team that ends up heading to the championship game. As far as betting goes, I love the over at 149.5. I think players are going to score. That is the strength of this team. I don't want to overthink this line. Over-unders are tough, but I feel more comfortable placing my bets with about seven really explosive scores on the floor. But, and you know what? I would take UConn to cover the points. I, I probably would at five and a half. And that's no disrespect to Miami, but it's hard to picture a team getting stopped that hasn't been stopped. So that part's not official. I'll give the bet. I'll see how the line changes by the time Saturday rolls around. But that's kind of where I'm at with UConn in this game. Love the over kind of leaning toward UConn on the spread. Big thank you to CBS Sports' Chip Patterson for providing a lot of this useful information that was used in this little segment. But now it's time to begin our final four roundtable with the Spinellis. You won't want to miss it. Here it is. Screaming from the sidelines, back here again. I just recorded the pre-segment. Now we're bringing in the two guests that we have. One of them is a very popular member of the show because we just had him on and he's back again. And it is Coach Scott Spinelli, been all over the country, sent five unranked recruits to the NBA, has done work in scouting, and he's back again. So, Coach, thank you for returning so quickly. Thanks for having me, Greg. Such a fun show to be on. Always a pleasure to be with you. And we have somebody in the middle of the screen who's a new face, but he is very closely linked to the man on the right, and that is his son, Joe, a guard who just finished his freshman year at Wofford College. Joe's going to talk about the Final Four with us from the player perspective, so something that I cannot give you, but he certainly can. Joe, thank you for being here, and welcome. Thank you for having me. Thank you for having me. And, and before I get going with anything else, I'm just going to play this little highlight clip of Joe just as, to show off a little bit for all the fans. And how about that? So, so Joe, I got to ask you, I got to ask you, going in for your first college bucket like that, what are you thinking? Are you just so calm and just it's routine because you practice so much? Or were you about to shoot that shot thinking, this is awesome? No, yeah, I was just another uh, just another game playing and nothing too much like that. I didn't think of anything like that, but definitely a, a big moment scoring your first collegiate point like that. I'm sure you made uh, Pops proud over there, too. So that's, uh, that's always a good thing. <laughs> All right. Well, listen, we uh, actually I know Gabe couldn't make it, but it's not just one Spinelli that plays D1. We have your other son, Gabe, who just finished his freshman year at Evansville. He is now in the transfer portal. But I got a pretty cool Gabe highlight that I want to put up here, too. Thanks to you, Scott. And uh, look, man. So the whole time I'm just thinking – where did he get those hops, and can I have some? <laughs> Joe, why don't you answer that? Because it certainly didn't come from me, Joe. <laughs> I, I couldn't answer it either. Well, yeah, I think by my mom. There you go, Joe. Yeah. Yeah. Joe, we better say the right answer, both of us. <laughs> it's always the mother half that's the better half anyway, am I right? So nothing new here. But this is – it just goes to show that basketball is runs deep in the Spinelli family. And uh, it's really cool because we're going to get into the Final Four. You know, Scott and I previewed the Sweet 16. We had eight matchups, some of which 
left us with surprises. Others, we expected more of what we thought we were going to see in discussion. And I think it's great that we're going to get a little bit of insight as opposed to just talking about the games and giving all the same analysis that's going around. Uh, We got a lot of great context to give just in terms of the player and coach perspective of what these coaches and players are going through this week. So, Joe, the first thing I want to ask you before we uh, get into these four teams is I noticed you and Gabe both at college, you have the same jersey number, which is 21. Is there any significance there? Uh, No significance. Just thought it would be pretty cool to be the same number, obviously. Both being freshmen, uh, Division One being a good idea, just like that. Nothing too uh, formal about it. Yeah, well, you grew up competing against each other all the time. Your dad's a coach. I'm sure that there's a lot of sibling fire and love coming together at the same time. So getting to play at different programs, it's a it's a really cool way to symbolize that connection. So I hear you there. Um, you know, travel is something that is a big part of the game, not just playing on the college level, but you've probably been doing this for years and years at AAU tournaments, and it's taken up so many weekends of your life these players have had to do a good handful of travel it's you know they played two games in three days got a break two games in three days and now they got another break and they got to do that again um first i'll ask you from the player perspective joe how has just the routine of travel and basketball affected your game and how do you manage those effects well i mean first of all having so many you know games and stuff it's hard to manage you know you got to stay i we like to say here you got to have like the tunnel vision, you know, you got to stay locked in and, you know, not focus too much on the outside, just game to game, day by day, practice by practice. All, you know, all the little things matter, you know, seeing, getting treatment, film, everything, stretching, all that. So you just, uh, all those games and stuff, you know, it's a grind, but, but uh, you, know, you keep uh, working and stuff like that. You know, Greg, I like to add something to that. Cause you know, Joe, um, I don't think a lot of the viewers really, truly, um, you know, really, really kind of understand the amount of time. So what, you know, when you go on the road and what happens. So, for example, I know, you know, Greg had mentioned the kids, you know, going back home, you know, and now they're gone for a few days. Give us a typical day. Like, just say you guys are getting ready to go play as you just did in the conference tournament. Um, you know, when you leave. Um, how many days before usually do you go? And then give us a routine of what happens during that day, Joe, just so we can, you know, it's not just you go there, sleep, and show up for the game. There's a lot that goes into the preparation, right, Joe? Oh, no question. So, like, for an example, if we had a a game on Saturday, we'll say, Saturday night, we would leave, uh, we would end up leaving Friday night. So we'd get it, we'd bus over or whatever, fly, whatever it is, get to the gym, we would just shoot. We would shoot for just an hour, just, you know, no drills or nothing. Just shoot, get a feel for the gym, the backdrop of the gym, which is a, a big adjustment, especially when playing on the road. And we would have lights out by 1130, uh, wake up the next day, breakfast, film, shoot around, back to the hotel. We would have, uh, you know, we'd beat up our rooms for a few hours and we'd have pregame meal. And then it would uh, be right back to the uh, gym for the game. So just like and, and, and some studying though, right, Joe? There's some studying that you guys. Yeah, absolutely, there's some studying. I hope so, Joe. Okay, that's good to hear. <laughs> but hey, on a more serious note, with that studying, you know, there's a lot of arguments, and the whole NIL deals around college basketball is a very long and nuanced discussion. But I think that's one of the big arguments is that there was always the NCAA saying you're getting a free education. And yes, you are getting an education. It's not that you don't do work, but when you talk about the level of discipline that you have to have, whether it's traveling or even just playing at home, the strict bedtime, the routine, the spending hours and hours in the gym and habit building, being a student athlete on the division one level is very much like a full-time job. And I think that uh, players should be able to capitalize off that opportunity before they go pro, and 98% of them don't end up going on that level. So I think it's a, it's an important nuance to the game for sure. Now, Scott, I, we got to hear it from the player perspective, but in a way it's almost got to be crazier 
as a coach because you want these players to be so disciplined, but you don't have direct control over their habits and how they act. Tell me what that's been like as a coach going through really high-stakes situations and keeping your players ready. Well, look, I think it's a big part of the success that teams have is it starts in recruiting and really evaluating the player, not just in terms of his ability to play the game, um, but his character, um, you know, his habits in terms of his discipline. Um, and again, I think that goes, it's a very important part of recruiting that I think is somewhat underrated. And look, you know, when you go on the road, you know, there's a certain code of conduct. Uh, there's a certain, um, you know, way or uh, we expect the kids to behave, to conduct themselves. Again, they're representing themselves, their families, obviously the university as a whole. Um, so there is a lot that goes into traveling and representing all of those um you know, all of those factors, you know, come into play. But I will say this, when I think about going on the road with the team, there is also a camaraderie that's built with the guys. I think Joe just made a really good point in that uh, when you go there, um, you wake up, you know, with your roommates in your room, you go downstairs, you're spending time with the players and film. Then you come back upstairs, maybe you go into a study hall where all the kids are you know, working towards their degree, making sure they're focused in on their academics. And then you go back on the bus, you go into shoot around. So there's a camaraderie and a chemistry that's built. Um, and look, not every road trip is going to be successful with a win. So how you guys or how the team deals with the ups and downs. And one of the things I think as a coach, and Joe, you'll attest to this, is not getting too high, not allowing your players to get too high or low uh, because they are kids, they are young and trying to maintain, you know, sort of a, a level mindset to all of this. I'm really glad that you brought the camaraderie element into it because that's exactly where I was heading to next, especially for Joe, where it's a balance, right? Because you do have to be disciplined, but especially in the context of playing in the NCAA tournament, reaching the final four, contending for a national championship, that is so incredibly special for this group of players everybody on the coaching staff, their families. It's just going to last a lifetime of memories. So uh, tell me a little bit about what you do to just balance some of the fun with also the hard work and the serious part of a road trip. No, yeah. Um, obviously, having, you know, academics working towards a degree, as uh, my dad said, is really important. So we, uh, you know, I like to uh, think of our team. We like to take time, especially at night after, you know, maybe we shot the night before the game to take some time out of our uh, day to get on the computer if we missed a class, uh, email professors, all that stuff. So just balancing that obviously on the road with the game and all the seriousness and whatever, all the little things that add up, which they play a big role, all the little things. But uh, no, that's that's really how I balance it, really. Obviously, and give us some give us some fun stories, Joe. Like what? How do you how do you enjoy yourself with your teammates? I mean. You know, tell us some of the things that you guys do. I'm sure there's a lot of, uh, you know, f uh, jokes and a lot, a lot of uh, fun things that you guys do just with one another. Just tell us a little bit about that. On the road trips? Yeah. Uh, on the road trips, like, uh, like we're in the hotel maybe, um, you know, after like the Southern Conference Tournament, we uh, the first round we uh, beat uh, UNC Greensboro. So that uh, – that night, I know we went into uh, we all got into one of their uh, hotel rooms, all of us, and we just played music, played video games, just had a good time, like all the jokes, stuff like that, um, which really is a great experience and stuff, all that for sure. Do you have any song that the team just goes crazy for <laughs> that all brings you together? <laughs> um, song, I, uh, we like the song Set It Off, it's called Set It Off by uh. I forget who it's by, but it's called Set It Off. <laughs> Good. I'll make sure when I take that clip to put it underneath just to really fire up Wofford University, Wofford College. <laughs> That's funny. That's awesome. Okay, so we mentioned the two games, three days, and then the breaks. Right now, UConn, FAU, Miami, San Diego State, they're all getting another five- to six-day break. Scott, from the coaching standpoint, 
how much of a difference does it make? Like, is it is it a huge plus to get that extra time off, or do you almost like the quick turnaround and keeping a sense of momentum? Well, I think you can look at it both ways. But look, for the kids, you know, and trying to get back and you know grasp everything that just happened, um, you know, I think it's important to have some time off. And you know, look, I mean, from a coaching standpoint, you're trying to get prepared now. Uh, you know, for the possibility, most importantly, that next game. And then obviously, you know, you'd have some coaches on your staff start, you know, kind of dividing up the other two teams, um, obviously with the expectation that you are going to win um, and you're ready for the, a short turnaround. But having that time off, and I know Joe knows this too, I mean, the amount of time the coaches spend in preparation, um, you know, figuring out a game plan um, that, you know, you can put your team in the best position possible to win the game, whether that's a certain matchup that you can kind of watch on film that is an advantage for your team that you can exploit to the opposition, uh, whether it's something the other team does on offense that you want to take away in this game. Um, and it's just things like that that gives you a lot of time here with a few more days um, you know, to prepare. So I do think it's very, very important for the coaches. And, you know, look, I mean, Joe said it. I mean, these kids are still in school, right? So you come home for a couple of days and you're able to go to class. You're able to kind of communicate with the professors. And look, I get it. There's a lot of excitement and there should be. This is a dream that, you know, we talk about it all the time. Um, you know, when Joe, Gabe were young, um, you know, to be in a position where you're playing at this level, never mind, you know, the dream of playing in a final four. I mean, all that time that you've dreamt about that, um, you know, you've worked for something like that. Um, it is an exciting time and it is a time to enjoy yourselves too. Yeah, I think you said it perfectly right there. So it's like the best spring break ever for these kids right now that get to go and be in the final four or got to spend March Madness. And uh, actually, the, so the school I went to, UCSB, proud 14 seed of this year's tournament, we're on the quarter system. So uh, a lot of these kids were dealing with finals right around the time that the tournament was going on. And I'm just thinking that is, that's next level commitment right there. So luckily for all these uh, semester kids, not a problem for another month or so, but um, I, I want to know, and I'll turn to you first on this one, Joe, because this whole, the internet and phones and social media and the way it's become an everyday part of our lives is so new. Like really within the last decade, it's transformed and even probably the last three to five years, it's just taken on new heights and i heard a story on a broadcast uh, earlier in the tournament where i don't remember who was on play-by-play -play, but uh, he was discussing how when one of the coaches was an assistant at florida and chris chioza had that game winner against wisconsin they all slept terribly that next night and they looked exhausted the next morning because their phones were just buzzing all night and they couldn't get any sleep and it's been a way of disciplining yourselves tell me about managing your relationship with your phone and social media and everything that comes with that when you're trying to play at a really high level no yeah it's definitely tough as i as i alluded to earlier the having the tunnel vision i think that's really important especially you know i know the older guys on our team the veterans you know if we played a game that was late one day you know at night you know to get to bed hydrate all that i think that goes hand in hand with uh, social media and stuff, really being disciplined and, uh, you know, having that tunnel vision, just getting ready to play the next game. But uh, it's definitely hard, especially in today's society with uh, social media and all that stuff going on for sure. It's hard. Do you try to have like a hard cutoff of when you're just putting the phone down, silencing notifications, like, no, this is it, I'm done? Yeah, I try to, especially on game days. Yeah, I know me and my teammates do that yeah like do not disturb stuff like that turn that on yeah scott do you keep him in check you give him a call and make sure it goes right to voicemail no ringing well you know what greg on a serious note and i think most parents who uh you know will view this show they'll understand when you have children in college we've got three so we've got a you know our daughter is in boston college she's in nursing and i've got obviously we've got gabriel and joseph who are freshmen your phone's always on and you're making sure that you know, that, um, 
you know, if they need you or if there's a phone call that comes in and, you know, that as a parent, a mom and dad, I know my wife sleeps right by her as well as, you know, myself. So you're always having that phone on. But I think you make a good point too, Greg. And I think, Joe, you kind of answered it. You know, having discipline, you know, with your social media, because as you said, you know, Greg, you could stay up all night pretty much after a big win and check out all of the different posts and text messages and Instagram, um, you know, direct messages. So there's a lot that goes into it. And again, Joe said it best, you have to stay disciplined with tunnel vision and somehow you got to find a way to block that off. Um, and, I, and again, if you have veteran players, I think that's a huge advantage, um, you know, that Joe just said too, having those veteran guys that can help the younger guys and make them understand that, hey, you know, this is one game. Let's not get too high or low, and let's stay, as Joe said, it. Let's have that you know tunnel vision for that next game. So, have either of you? And I, this isn't necessarily a opportunity to like call somebody out, but just more of the uh, you could just answer it in the broad sense. Has there ever been an issue where the phones or social media and that kind of outside distraction had to get? seriously or specifically addressed from uh, another teammate or player i can i can answer that i don't know joe i can tell you you know we've had you know uh situations let me give you an example greg there are times that we would go into restaurants and have a team meal and i don't know if you guys do this do you do this joe where yeah they take our home yeah so joe joe so tell us what happens when you guys go to a team meal we have to uh so we get off the bus. Before we get off the bus, we all have to uh, leave our phones on the seat with all everything there. So when we get off the bus, our, they check for our phones, like the managers, to make sure we don't have our phones as, you know, team dinners and all that. Is there ever any pushback? <laughs> <laughs> A little. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what you said earlier, Greg, too. That's a camaraderie thing, right? When you have the kids – you know, uh, eating with one another, you'd like to have some conversation and communication again, you know, without having the kids looking at their phones. Cause if that was the case and they had their phones at the dinner, um, it'd be a lot of doing, you know, that, you know, texting their friends, their family. So it's just a time for the guys or the, you know, the team to build that bond. And again, maybe leaving their phones on the bus for a short period, um, I'm sure when they get back in, the first thing they all do, Joe, what do they do? Right on. <laughs> <laughs> so, that's funny. They're blocking each other out. But, uh, yeah, I wish I had this interview clip on hand now. But I remember, I think it was right before the tournament started, maybe when one of the schools got eliminated in their conference tournament. But there was an interview with a very emotional player whose career was over. And they asked what he was going to miss the most. And he took a while to answer the question. And he was really sad and thoughtful. And he just said, going out to eat. And that was his answer. But so on the surface, it was kind of funny. But then you kind of stop and think about it. And you're like, honestly, that makes a lot of sense. Well, Greg, I think we can kind of story <laughs> quite a bit. Because the student athlete you're talking about, was here at Boston College our first year. It was Dennis Clifford. And, uh, you know, we took over a program that we had to rebuild. And, you know, Dennis is, was, you know, a tremendously competitive kid, uh, worked exceptionally hard, had gone through some injuries throughout his career, and was able to, you know, come back after sitting out a year. So there was a lot more to the backstory of that. But I think, in, you know, Dennis was just trying to, kind of come up with something at that time because the season didn't go well. He was getting ready to graduate and move on. He had overcome a lot of adversity. So I think a lot of people kind of assume that to be, yeah, it definitely was something of a great memory, but a lot of it was that kid and what he had to overcome during that time. And I think unfairly so, Joe, you'd attest to this. That was something that people bring up on social media and make poke fun at it. But in reality, if you knew the backstory, you probably wouldn't make a lot of fun, you know, to that. Wow. I had no idea there was the connection there, but I mean, man, that, that's a bummer that people, I guess there's internet trolls everywhere. Right. But when I saw that, I was thinking uh, less of like a ha ha and more just, Oh, that's actually a pretty good answer. Even though 
kind of like on the surface you're like that's kind of random but um that's that's great to hear i love that story though that's wow we're gonna have to clip that one out for sure that's man i really wish i had the interview on file now oh man i missed an opportunity <laughs> well you know and, and i'll tell you what um joe will tell you there was a lot of like you said trolling of that that clip for and it still exists today right joe you still he actually still posts about it all the time so i saw about like a few weeks ago i saw him post repost it again like all that stuff so they still yeah he likes to poke fun on him for himself but uh, i thought he's thinking okay i'm glad he's got a good spirit yeah about it. yeah and he's a great kid too greg i mean like i said he heck of a player made a, you know he went over and played professionally for a while had some time with the nba you know summer league and uh, but he was a really good player too. But yeah, it was a lot more to that. But yeah, funny that was a that's an irony right there, right? I mean, we, here we are, the ones that actually were coaching him during that time, Greg. <laughs> wow, awesome. Okay, so let's get a little bit into the Final Four now that we've kind of unpacked some of this. What it's like for these coaches and players. You know, UConn is the clear favorite because of the way they've dominated through the tournament. I know that both Scott and I expected Arkansas to make that a really competitive game, if not win, and UConn just ran away with that one. Then you got Miami, who seemed dead twice in the tournament, both in the first round against Drake, and then down 13 in the second half against Texas. Then you got two teams that people really didn't expect to make it as far. I mean, San Diego State's a great defensive team, but they don't have that flashiness and explosiveness that uh, the two teams on the other side of the bracket have that we just mentioned. And then in their second tournament appearance ever, nine seed Florida Atlantic out of Conference USA has made it all the way to the Final Four, and it is not a fluke by any means. They're now 35-3 and on the season. So we're going to stay away from all the betting talk. That part got earlier in the show by the time this one comes out, but uh, there are two really enticing matchups because it is a really defense and rebound heavy team. That's probably going to keep it a lower scoring game. And then you got the potential shootout on the other side. Before I get into anything, I guess now that we've established that you're very well connected in the basketball world, are there any personal connections you two have to these four teams? Well, what do you think, Joe? I think um, speaking for 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 us, I, I don't know a lot of the kids on you know again a lot of those guys that we've recruited over the years. So you know, there's kids on multiple um, you know sides of the ball or multiple teams that we've actually you know reached out to, recruited, evaluated over the years. Um, but you know, in terms of personal stories, I, I don't think. Um, for me, Joe, I don't have anything that I would talk about personally with anybody there. Would you? Uh, yeah, I don't think any uh, person. All right. Well, I'm glad we at least uh, cleared the slate on that one because after the going out to eat, I'm just like, I guess you never really know. <laughs> um, <laughs> so it's been a really enticing tournament. This is the first time that there's no top three seeds. The transfer portal has changed the landscape of a lot of it nil has as well so we're not focusing on a lot of these one and dones in the final four we're focusing on a lot of vets who have been here done that in the transfer portal but it's still new to everybody and three of those four teams have never had their program in the final four so uh let's go to joe first as a player first of all just from like a fan standpoint and someone who understands the grind of college basketball is one of these matchups more enticing to you than another. Uh, I, I, to be honest, I like the uh, Florida Atlantic San Diego state game just because two mid major games, you know, I'm at a mid major school watching these two, you know, obviously upset all these teams. I think this is going to be an intriguing matchup for me just to watch both two uh, gritty teams go at it in the final four, which is just going to be fun to watch. I love the mid-major take because that's – I attended one as well. And, I mean, not a student athlete, of course, but just when you see these mid-major schools get a chance to shine and make the most of the moment, it carries a different level of meaning, I think. Um, Scott, how about you? Is 
there one matchup in particular you really are got your eyes on here? Uh, well, I think both games set up to be, you know, just an, an incredibly competitive, um, you know, matchup. If you really want to talk strengths and weaknesses, there's a lot of things that both teams, uh, at least both matchups, are going to be able to show. First, I mean, like Joe said, the Florida Atlantic game to me, um, you know, you're playing against a San Diego State team and, you know, you're, gonna, you're giving up a lot of size, you know, physical you know, strength. And Florida Atlantic has done in this tournament, especially over the last couple of games, especially the last game against Kansas State, is that they've showed there's really no true metric or analytic to measure a student athlete's will or desire um, to win a game. And I think it was really obvious in the fact that Florida Atlantic out-rebounded Kansas State by 20 uh, in that last game. And they did it against a bigger Tennessee team. They out-rebounded them. And again, as Joe will tell you, yes, you hit first and you box, but then you've got to go out and you've got to have that effort and desire to go rebound the basketball. And I think Florida Atlantic is showing that their determination, their perseverance, is something that no analytic can measure uh, to a man, you know, each individual one of those players. So I think that's intriguing. And as far as the Miami-UConn game is, is concerned, and I think, Joe, you know, we've always talked about this as you were growing up, you and Gabe especially, in that, you know, you're seeing a lot of players out there who are very skilled, guys who can all pass, dribble, and shoot. And Miami especially is filled with a team players like that. They might not necessarily have the seven-footers or the six-ten guys that UConn has, but I'll tell you what, they have the guys in every position who are all very versatile and very skilled, and I think the fact that they can really shoot the ball from the three-point line at multiple positions, I think it really sets up to be an interesting matchup. I think that was said perfectly, and uh, I think what makes this Final Four so awesome is that all four of these teams have earned it but it was by no means expected like yeah of course everybody's bracket got messed up for the people that filled out brackets and uh, having just one of these final four teams i mean i guess people had yukon but if you had two of these final four teams in that is super impressive i would go as far as to say that i don't know how many of the final four teams people had even advancing one round like I didn't hear a lot of FAU over Memphis talk in that first round. I know Drake was kind of a semi-trendy upset. I ended up falling into that trap. Um, Charleston, another 5-12 that people had their eye on against San Diego State. And, yeah, so uh, it is – and then Iona was UConn's opponent, and everybody loves Rick Pitino. So there was nothing given there. And um, I I don't know. I got to say I love the fact that it's – the matchups are teams that play similar style and then teams that play similar style, but it's entirely different. And I think it's going to make for a great championship game. Now, on the prediction front, Joe, if you had to give me a national champion, what would you go for right now? Ah, <laughs> uh, This is a tough question. So many uh, good teams in the four. Uh Honestly, I'm gonna take a I'm gonna take San Diego State just because I think they're with the age, experience, how they play, how they rebound, just uh, defensively. I think defense is really important. You know, this Final Four, especially, um, so I'm gonna have to go with San Diego State in this one. I think they can pull it off. How about you, Scott? I like your analysis, Joe. I mean, that's you know, it really does make a lot of sense. Um, you know, for me, I'm gonna set up and. I'm going to look for a all Florida uh, national title game. I think Florida Atlantic continues on, even though I agree with Joe. I think San Diego State has what it takes in terms of their experience, their physicality, their defense. I agree with all of that, Joe. Um, well said. But I got to tell you, for me, I think Florida Atlantic's determination, their will, um, you know, they just have some magic right now that's working for them. Um, I'm going to pick them to play Miami. Miami upsetting a UConn team that right now has throttled everybody, um, but still has six losses, I believe, on the season. So they obviously can't be beat. They're just right now playing so well. Uh, but I think Miami's guard core is going to, 
again, what they did against Houston, it really surprised me. They just ran past Houston. It was incredible, you know, to see those guys out there in terms of their speed and how they just got up and down the floor. And I think that's going to happen. I'm setting up for an all-Florida national title, and I'm going to take I'm going to take Miami to win the national championship. Okay, I like it. I'm not going to make my official picks until Saturday when I have just wake <laughs> up and I'm like, Mike, this is what I'm feeling. But if I got to go earlier in the week, I was asked uh, for Believe to basically answer the question of, is UConn the right pick? And I said yes, because I think historically speaking, we've seen more talented teams and higher seeds thrive in the Final Four. And I really like what I've seen from UConn, just peaking at the right time and chemistry is there. And I think Dan Hurley's energy works awesome for the team. But there's something about Florida Atlantic that I really like, too, and think that they could get past San Diego State. And, Scott, you said that we need to stop diving so deep into trends and analytics. And I think a good example of this is that San Diego State's X factor, their their big prize, is their perimeter defense. They make it hard for teams to just run away. Alabama built a little bit of a lead, but they couldn't run away with the game. And San Diego State's defense got them back into the game. Florida Atlantic isn't shooting the three very well this tournament. They're only up 31%, but they're still finding ways to win, whether that's with rebounds or defense or just finding a will to go against a bigger team like a Tennessee and somehow get it done. I think it would be fantastic for the sport. Um, I'm sorry to repeat myself to the people that already listened to the pre-segment because I did a little dive into each four team. But I would not count out Florida Atlantic by any means. And I really am not treating the UConn-Miami game like it's the national championship. Because I know there's a little bit of a narrative that's getting built around there. But in my opinion, I don't think it's that way whatsoever. Now, on paper, yes, UConn is the team to beat based on what we've seen throughout this tournament and how they've just dominated second halves. Miami is incredibly resilient and they have three guards with Miller kind of being that guard forward that are incredibly explosive. Florida Atlantic has just defied all odds and San Diego state's defense and experience that Joe alluded to has really stuffed teams. So I do see it as anybody's tournament and I think it's really good for the sport of basketball and mid majors. And I hope that I see Wofford in the tournament next year so that I can have a prime bracket and like Sweet 16, Elite 8, set up, ready to go with uh, sophomore guard Joe Spinelli leading the way, 21 points a game and five steals. <laughs> well, this is, um, you know, I tell you what, Greg, I mean, you know, and I wish Gabe was here too, but, you know, it's really fun to, you know, again, I don't, you know, Joe's down in South Carolina, and, and you obviously know this from, you know, going to college. I mean, it's fun to kind of get, you know, um, especially in this type of setting and his analysis of this, I would have been interested to hear Gage too, right? Um, you know, as a dad, and you know this from your family, we grew up watching games together. We became huge fans of any of the Boston teams because we were living in, you know, Nebraska. Joe, Joe was born in Chicago, and we bounced around so much. So we always identified with the pro sports teams from Boston. So we always – would watch games and rally behind them, whether it was the Bruins, the Patriots, et cetera, the Celtics. And so to get his take on something like this, you know, um, you know, it's really neat to hear, you know, his, his perspective because he's playing it right now. So, um, and then to listen to what you just said, I think you make a lot of sense. UConn is the best team probably on paper. They're playing the best basketball, but as we know, you know, that doesn't necessarily guarantee them to cut down the nets in this, we would call, a two-game tournament now set up for, for this weekend. Yeah, I mean, Purdue was deemed as one of the best teams with a tough roster that was hard to beat heading into the tournament, and it clearly did not guarantee them anything against a team in Fairleigh Dickinson that was A, very undersized, and B, won four games last year, and C, didn't even win their conference tournament but they got in because the winner of the conference tournament hadn't reached D1 eligibility yet from transferring over. So that's a good piece of trivia right there for any of you basketball psychos. And you got three of them on the screen. 
one coach, one player, and one guy who just spews into a mic and makes it happen. So <laughs> thank you both so much for being here. I mean, I- I'm looking forward to these games a lot. I think the national championship in particular is going to be a great one. It's one of those Mondays that I treat like a weekend because I never like do any actual work or school work when I was younger. It's just like, no, 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 that's what's happening that day. And that's, that's how it's going to be. <laughs> Well, listen, thanks for having us, uh, Greg. I, it was a lot of fun. And, you know, Joe, Joe, thanks for taking time out of your schedule and, um, you know, to, to spend with us. So great analysis. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Greg. Thank you for having Absolutely. me. Absolutely. Yeah, no, you are welcome. Joe, go get food with your guys and put your phone down and then come back to it. <laughs> and then when this episode is up, you can be – Twitter is right there for you. And uh, it's going to be great. Twitter, YouTube. The show is growing. We actually are now, we have streams in 14 different countries. So pretty cool. We're running on Believe's YouTube channel and you can access the audio on all major platforms. By the way, on Spotify now, I just learned you can leave comments on individual episodes. So I'm going to start doing that to my friends and just uh, leaving super funny remarks. But uh, hopefully nothing mean like your friend uh, who got roasted for going out to eat food because sometimes... That is just the best thing, and that's kind of what I want to do right now. (laughs) All right. Thank you guys so much to all the listeners. We'll be back soon with a lot of content, and please soak up the end of this March Madness. You got Women's Final Four. You got Men's Final Four. NBA playoffs are around the corner. The WNBA is starting up in May. So really, we're just in what I like to call the nonstop phase of basketball, which is exactly how I like it. Don't forget to rate, subscribe, like, share, all that fun stuff. Check us out on YouTube, other shows on the Believe Network. And I would be remiss if I didn't end it by saying to keep screaming. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.